You are listening to Genuine Chit Chat. This show is for real. Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by the author, Jesse McKinnell. Now, me and Jesse cover a lot of ground in this conversation. We do talk about his books a little bit, but we also talk about things like a boring topia, dark comedy, suffocation by technology, waiting rooms, and those sorts of things. So it's a really good conversation, whether or not you're interested in writing or not. But I would recommend checking out the links in the description, because there is one link which you can read the full first chapter of his book, Dead Cats and Other Reflections on Parenthood. And also, if you go over to Amazon and check out his latest book, Anarchy and Other Lies, then you will be able to read like the first chapter of that as well. And also just quickly, there will be a video version of this conversation uploaded to YouTube. Uh, It should be a few hours after this episode drops. So if you're listening to this on the Sunday, then you should be able to go over to YouTube and check that out if you want to see what me and Jesse McKinnell look like. And there are several other episodes that have also got video as well. So if you want some video versions of some of these conversations, then go over to YouTube. There's not really much else to add here, guys, aside from the little promo I'm going to be playing before our chat gets started, which will be by the American Slacker podcast. Link to their stuff is in the description as well. But yeah, aside from that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jesse. Make sure you check out his website and, as I said, those previews of his books and follow him on Instagram as well if you have that. And uh, I'll be back at the end to give you guys some more information on what's coming up on the show and other bits and pieces there. So uh, without further ado, after the promo, I give you Jesse McKinnell. Hey, this is Matt. And Jesse. We host American Slacker Podcast. Your weekly rundown for weird news, entertainment suggestions, and unique games. Every other week, we bring on guests from all walks of life, like comedian Mark Forward of Letterkenny. Yeah, we just call it tuna up here. We, we, we're pretty clear that it's a fish. And NYC stand-up powerhouse Ian Fidance. I want to fucking punch you in the fucking face with positivity <laughs> and fun, motherfucker. Actor Brandon Crane of Stephen King's It. There's a lot of the work that I did, like Wonder Years to It. They were all very, you know, period, 50s, 60s, and, you know, chunks were all the rage. And Arthur Clown. Terrifier, David Howard Thornton. They also had to make a mold of my face while I was there, so that was kind of claustrophobic in itself. Musician Dan Simons of Just Surrender. First time ever going on a tour, you remember every stop. And Nick Thompson of Hit the Lights. All, all the stuff that I think that people go through through life, and it's just like my outlet for that. Watch the video version of American Slacker on our YouTube channel and listen to our show on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Visit our website aspodcast.com for everything American Slacker. That's it. There you go. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. And here we are with Jesse McKinnell, an author, and I haven't had an author on for a short period of time. It's always joyous to speak with people for the many reasons one may decide to write a book, or even several in your case, Jesse. So why don't we start off with that? I mean, hello, we spoke very briefly before pressing record, so <laughs> um, hello, I'm glad you're well. Um, you've obviously got two the, the sort of main books, uh, in essence. Why don't you tell us what they are, and uh, we can go from there. Hey, Mike. Um, nice to meet you, and thanks for having me on. Uh, especially uh, a uh, American, so I appreciate the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> reaching out across the pond. Um, so yeah, I've got I've written two books in the past. Well, I started writing uh, my first novel, Dead Cats and the Reflections on Parenthood, in 2016, and it takes longer to get. I've learned that it takes them longer to get published than it actually does to write them. So I think that one took me about nine months to write, and it was published in 2018. And then the second one, which I had actually um, finished before Dead Cats was published, Anarchy and Other Lies, 
um, was just published in, well, about a year, a uh, year ago, it was in December of 2020. Mm. So, um, yeah, I just, I've always had a, a writing bug and I just decided one day that, you know, instead of thinking about it, I should actually take the steps to do it. And so I, it's, it sounds like obvious, but I started keeping a little notepad of ideas and I kept it by the side of my bed. And actually the first, not the first note, but the first note that was any good in there was, it was July 4th, I think 2015. And I woke up in the middle of the night laughing. I was from a dream I had. And the dream was about uh, this dentist who had a midlife crisis and his dream was to write a sitcom. And so he, uh, while he was performing a procedure on a patient who was under anesthetic, he described the nature of his sitcom and laid it all out to his dental hygienist. And that like conversation imprinted on the guy who was underneath the laughing gas while he was asleep. And he ended up writing the idea and basically stealing from the dentist. And that drove him insane. And he like, I don't know how, like, I don't know how this dream was condensed into what every time I was actually in, in a REM sleep for, but he went on this like insane. And it, I wasn't even, I don't even think I was in the dream. Like I wasn't the dentist. I wasn't the patient. I was like watching this thing. And I, I woke up laughing about it. And so I just, I scribbled down some like crazy notes at two in the morning in my notebook and then woke up in the morning. I was like, yeah, that's time to take a decent start. And so did Cats and the Reflection on Parenthood is really, it evolved quite a bit from that, but the main character is, you know, sort of a dentist who's lost his way in life. And it's really a uh, reflection on society and what it means to be like a straight white middle-class male in, in America. Um, and that's filtered through uh, the lens of Kurt Cobain too, who plays a big part in that book. And so that that was just my start. And it's it's like anything else. Once you do it once, it becomes replicable. You like figure out how to do something, and then um, so since then it's just it's been great. And I self-published Dead Cats, and I was able to sell my second book, Anarchy Not Lies, to a, a small publisher out in San Francisco. And so it was really nice to be able to do the whole thing myself the first time and realize how painful and hard and horrible <laughs> that is and know that I don't want to do that again and find somebody that believed in my writing enough to, to pay for it and to take all of that off my plate. So it's been, mm. it's been nice. And I've got other manuscripts. I've got two other manuscripts that are, I've got at least a good first draft done. And then I've got a, another, a third manuscript that I'm like 75% of the way through a, a good first draft. So it just wow. has kept flowing since I started it, which is relieving because once you finish the first one, you're like, oh, no. Like my, even my wife said, she's like, I don't know how much you have left. This is like, this book is like every, like all of your little sayings and everything. Like this book seems to be just about uh, everything I know of you. <laughs> so. Wow. I mean, that's a brilliant way to start writing. I mean, having the world's most surreal, crazy dream, which does, it does sound like, like a plot line to a movie or something along those lines. And it is, yeah, it's, it's a very, it's a very specific dream. It's like none yeah. of my dreams. Like My girlfriend does have dreams that are really specific to like stresses she's having at the moment in life and things and really like everything that changes in her life her dreams kind of mirror mine are the opposite like mine literally have got nothing to do with anything ever um they're not they're not not about dentists uh, who have got patients under surgery or anything not that bizarre mine are just really boring days they're just really average things that i wake up and i'm like did 
that actually happen? And it normally didn't, because <laughs> nothing exciting to write about. Um, but I want to ask, with both your books, they're written obviously from the first person perspective. Was that, is that just because it's easier for you to write in that way? Was that like something you're going to veer out of in the future? Like what made you write in first person out of interest? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And um, I'm going to answer it truthfully, even though it makes me look stupid. Um, <laughs> and and I, I have veered out. So my, my last, my unpublished manuscripts are all third person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're like typical perspective, but my, but dead cats and anarchy are both first person. And um it, with dead cats, it was that was the only way I knew how to do it. When nice. like when I was sitting down to start, I I don't know. I like I read a ton, but it never occurred to me that that should be a third person narrative. It just felt very like I felt like very in that character's head, and it felt almost disingenuous to try to put it into a third person construct mm-hmm. rather than saying I. Um, and so it just flowed very easy that way. And. The second book didn't flow as easy for me that way because I didn't feel, I don't know. I just, I don't know if I like felt like I outgrown that the need to do the narrative that way. And I like look at it more dispassionately now that I'd already done it once. And so by the end of that book, I was sort of like, all right, I'm done with first person and I need to go with a more traditional narrative structure. And so that's what I've done in my next ones. And I, I think it does read easier. Like it is, it is a little bit, I was super self-conscious about it too on dead cats. When I first started, like I would, I would look at other books in my bookshelf and be like, which ones of these are first person? Like this doesn't mean I'm a hack, right? Like <laughs> good writers write in first person too. Right. And uh, like, there are some and they're all, and it's funny because they're usually like, uh, what one, I think it's like uh, American dream by Naylor. Like one of the Norman Naylor books where he writes about like this completely, I might have the name of it wrong, but it's like a completely unhinged protagonist who is like having sex with his like wife on one floor of the apartment and then like with uh, someone else on another floor and like ends up just, it's like, it's completely unhinged and makes no sense. Um, and that one's like American classic and it's, it's first person. So like when I was putting the book, because a big part of it too is, when you're not used to feedback or like people critiquing your art or anything like you feel very vulnerable. And so like publishing dead cats and like sending it out for reviews and I entered it into some contests and stuff like that was just like, I was a very raw nerve about it. And it was like really tough to get over that hump and just be like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable in this way. And like, here's my work. It's like a first person novel based on a dream about a dentist. And it's got a lot of Kurt Cobain in it, uh, but you'll love it. <laughs> and, but it's been great. I mean, the feedback's been really good. I have good reviews on Goodreads, um, uh, Publishers Weekly, which is a pretty big um, online platform here. Uh, they run a, a contest every year and as an unpublished manuscript, it was one of their um, semifinalists out of like 750 submissions they had that year so especially publishers weekly was like a big vote of confidence that gave me like okay they're like i don't i'm I good at this all right or at least i'll suck at this <laughs> and uh gave me the confidence to, to push forward and, and eventually publish it myself and then to keep on going yeah because like with with books yeah i think third person is generally the most standard because i think a lot of the time with books this is more of an assumption on my part, but you know, a lot of the time you have different characters and I know that certain books, you can have lots of different characters from a per- first person perspective, but usually when there's several characters, you have third person. So you can kind of 
look at them almost like you would in most movies. Whereas with Dead Cats, from what I understood, from what I read, was you know you need to see the you need to see the world from his lens, from his perspective, and just like the little in thoughts that he has when he looks at certain people or when certain people say or do other things. You not only get the in air quotes objective truth of what they did. You know, I know it's somewhat subjective depending, um, but then you also get to see how he kind of interprets that. And I think with Dead Cats, especially with how it starts and things, it's like, yeah, this guy is basically going off the edge. You kind of need to know what's going on in his mind to really be along for the ride. In a sense, you kind of, you need to see his perspectives in a lot of way, not even to necessarily agree with him. But if you just saw a third person perspective of someone seemingly doing mental stuff or saying mental stuff, you just it potentially wouldn't be as easy to connect with someone. Whereas I found with your book, Dead Cats, just getting in there from the start, it was really easy to to fall into the character and to understand them. And then with Anarchy, it was a very similar thing. You know, you you got someone... The characters are... There, there's, a, there's a line that kind of runs through them both, which is um, almost cynical in certain ways. I didn't know if that was yeah. intentional no. for the both of them, because it seems like... In, you know they're, they're basically cynics on this world and obviously those two worlds that they're living in are slightly different because obviously in anarchy it's more of a sort of boring dystopia in some ways <laughs> in, in a good way like your book isn't boring i want to clarify to listeners yeah. i'm not saying your book is boring but it's one of those there's like a subreddit i think which is called like boring dystopia and it's about this the world ending <laughs> around you but it's just so dull it's nothing cool like we expected in movies like you know explosions going off and zombies and mutants it's like oh things are just slowly grinding to a really boring halt so I want to ask about, um, I said about 20 things there, but with the first person perspective, do you think that it's easier to empathize sort of with a character in that regard? I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, that's a good question. And like upon reflection, dead cast doesn't work as third person because, and again, I didn't do this like out of like some literary genius. It was Yes, you did. Like, Your subconscious yeah, did. Right, I did for <laughs> It was just like, I have to start somewhere. Yeah, like, yeah. how do I start on page one? And like, this is the way it's speaking to me. And so that's, I, I definitely, I, I don't outline any of my books. I write probably, I keep notes about a chapter ahead of where I want to go next. And I know where my ending is and I know where my beginning is. And I just sort of fill in the meat to get to the ending. But Dead Cats doesn't work because Kurt Cobain is a, a big part of it. And the ghost of Kurt Cobain is basically like the id to the main character. He's mm -hmm. the guy whose ideas he's bouncing off of. He's giving feedback on all of his like horrible plans. And he does it all through song lyrics, uh, Nirvana song lyrics. And that you can't do that in, in third person. Uh, that just doesn't work. So um, in terms of anarchy, it's funny that you say a boring topia because my thesis when I, about when I wrote the book is I don't think that the end of the world is going to be interesting. <laughs> The end, the end, like, I don't think anybody's going to, I don't even think anybody's going to notice when the world ends in all likelihood. <laughs> I think that, I think that it's just like a death by a thousand cuts. And at some point in history, people will look backwards and be like, oh shit, yes, <laughs> it was all over on that day. That, that was, that was the top of the roller coaster. We've been going downhill ever since. And so I really like, I don't think it's a boring book, and I thank you for saying that. But I, I, I want—I haven't seen a dystopia novel about you know like a slow bleed out of society, and that's what I wanted to write. And in terms of being cynical, like totally, you know, especially especially that book. Like, not to get into politics, but like that book spanned 
the uh, beginning of the uh, 2016 election, and I I ended it after Trump had been elected. And like, there was, I was just in such a negative mindset that I was like, you know, F it. Like, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what like flowed out of me at the end. It's like, this, everything's burning and <laughs> the world's on fire. And we might have already reached the top of the roller coaster. And now we're looking over the other side and who knows what's down there. Yeah, because it's a very interesting world that definitely grabbed me because I love dystopian futures. I think a lot of uh, people do, you know, sci-fi is of a lot of sci-fi movies and things are surrounding over the possibility of dystopia like Terminator or that we've already been through it like The Matrix, etc. All these sorts of ideas of, yeah, something major happening. And I think that now with what we know today compared to, you know, a lot of those films were sort of 90s, early 2000s. Now that the internet's been around and been established for a long period of time and i think that so many people are getting stuck in the sort of you know the nine to five jobs which even going back a few decades there was a higher portion of them being sort of physical labor and stuff but with machines and things and whatnot so many more jobs are just getting sort of pushed to the office and i think that you're because obviously the preview on amazon i, I suggest anyone goes out and checks it out um is like the first i think full chapter or there or thereabouts it made me think somewhat of, uh, and this is a compliment in all the ways, in the in the film Wanted with James McAvoy that I love, when he's kind of at the start of that and he's in his kind of boring job and he's Googling himself and he's just kind of had enough with it and basically, you know, Wanted, he breaks out and goes and joins an Assassin's Guild. It gave me that vibe in certain respects of just, you know, people are just sick of being in this office all the time. And I think that your book does a really good way of conveying that with a character in, in not too many words, once again, by the first person perspective. So what if you could tell me a little bit about the, well, obviously you, the era that you wrote it in, but sort of, you know, what kind of inspired that in a sense? So wanted it, that's the one where he bends, where they bend bullets. Yeah, yeah. the silliness, but it's great. I love love it, but yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I haven't seen that in forever. I haven't thought about that movie in forever either. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's sort of like, you're right, like, we have, we are uh, always seeking luxury and, like, the easiest way out of things. And so, like, if we can, if we can have a machine replace a human to do any sort of physical labor, it seems like that is going to be, like, like that's, that's just the way society is progression. We've decided that either it's too expensive to have humans do these things or it's too hard to find the labor because nobody wants to do them. And so we're entering this like level of like white collar hell where it's just humans sitting in desks, like staring at computers and like performing all menial tasks through mouses and keyboards is seems to be where we're going. And, and the main character in Anarchy, the best way I could think to, to draw that out is he's a silverware designer, but he's a silverware designer in a time when there's no more fresh food and everybody eats things that are like pre-packaged. So like go bars. Yeah. Go bars and power pouches, which is basically like a pouch of cornflakes that you dip into your mouth. And so nobody has a need for silverware anymore except for really rich people. And so he loses his job and he spends, I don't know, a little bit lamenting that he wishes he was like a, a trash collector because it seems like, you know, trash, there's all, all these trash to collect, which I think is true too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I work one of these like white collar jobs and I, you know, look at a computer all day. And then when I'm done looking at the computer for work, I go downstairs and I look at my computer so I can, I can write my novels about looking at my computer. Uh, so it's like, 
staring into a mirror, into a mirror, into a mirror to some degree. But I just, I, I have a hard time uh, feeling like the future is, I think there's going to be a lot of artificial, and, and you know, the next level is going to be like all the white collar jobs are going to go away because first we program the computer, the, the robots to do like the actual physical labor. And now we're programming artificial intelligence and algorithms to take over, you know, whatever sort of like brains are needed to press the buttons on the keyboard too. So it's, we're all replaceable at some point. And it's all, it's always in like the, like the search of leisure, you know, it's like, it's like, how can I spend more of my day uh, watching movies <laughs> or playing video games? <laughs> I know it's if, it's if this algorithm can replace half of my job and free me up all this time. And then it happens, and then people are bored and don't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> it's just, yeah. You know, so people have hobbies and things, and other people's people's other people don't. Um, but I want to I want to flag up something that I read, and I want to clarify with your books. If and the 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 premises are really interesting, and um, they they did absorb me in as much as I read and things. But I want to say to people that if and this is no no downplay on any of your writing, but if nothing else, just read these books because of some of the one liners in there, which I think are just you thought of really clever things and you're like how can i how can i put that in there because i feel like you've probably just got like pages of clever things and you're like this doesn't fit you can't have a story around this one thing and one of the things i wrote down which was um bees do not enjoy sex as much as human beings enjoy killing bees and it's like that's just such a great line of like talking because in um in anarchy you know minor spoilers but you can read it on amazon and things which is you know boring dystopia as we kind of uh, mentioned and one of the main things that one of the kind of background air quotes things that gets a bit of traction uh, for a paragraph or two is there's like a news headline about the last queen bee dying out and then the main character kind of thinks that to themselves you know um uh, he's not enjoying sex as much as humans uh, enjoy killing bees which i thought that was just genius and I, I absolutely love that and i feel like so many lines from just the first chapters of each book you could take out and have almost on a t-shirt so i wondered do those sort of one lines <laughs> do you think of them as you're writing or do you kind of have because you said about how you you structure your works and you've got like a power you've got like a chapter ahead and the sort of you've got the start and the end done do you have like lots of cool just kind of thoughts and concepts as well that you kind of want to put in certain places where you can I did, and I use them all. Well, first of all, thank you for that. And I, I can't pretend like I didn't, I wasn't pretty pleased with myself when I wrote. It was good. Line. It was a good, maybe giggle. It was very, very good. Yeah. I think I giggled when I was writing it too, <laughs> uh, refining it. Um, but I don't, I don't have a list. Uh, and that's, that goes back to my wife's point about like, not, sh not sure if I had a second novel in me because you know, 90% of the jokes that are in Dead Cats were things that she'd been hearing from me for the last decade. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, well, this is all your material. Like if it was like a stand-up, it's like, this is, this is your, this is your hour. This is your act. Uh, what else do you have? What else do you have? So I, you know, I don't know. Um, I read back, like after I, it takes me about a year to write a, a draft and then I'll go back and, you know, edit it and whatever. And, when I go back and I read it, I'm like, I don't remember writing that. I don't even remember thinking that. <laughs> I don't know how I, I don't know how I came up with that. I, I kind of like it. I do remember the, the, the B thing came to me um, pretty fast. And I think that was one of the rare ones that I like scribbled in the notebook. And um, it was specifically for this and about that story. It wasn't just like a thought I had generally, but um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. The first two novels especially uh, are meant to be comedic. And that was something that I uh, was also sensitive about is 
like when I'm when it's out, it's especially what before they were published and you know, like I have a, a group of friends and family that read my drafts for me and give me feedback. And especially on the first one, you know, having had just sort of springing this on people, like it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay to laugh if you like it. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, that comes through. Yeah. And it's one of those things because it's quite a dark comedy, isn't it? You know, I mean, the premise, the first book having the word dead cats in the title and obviously the kind of... um that a guy basically has a mental break and then kills the family cat. It, it, like, I want to clarify to people that's not spoiling anything. That's just in the brief, in essence. But it's like <laughs> that alone, that premise is like, you know, that could be a horror film. That could be, you know, a dark comedy. It could be sort of, you've got that avenue where it could be a variety of different things. And I think dark comedy is a very unappreciated art in some respects because I think with dark comedy, it's so hard to get it right. There's quite a lot of dark comedies, you know, I think the most famous, most popular dark comedy that people probably wouldn't think is a dark comedy is Shaun of the Dead. Um, I think um, that zombie film, you know, changed zombie films, I think is hilarious, but you've kind of, you have to have this really dark subject matter and horrible things happening and somehow make light of it in certain ways. That's like the very layman's terms uh, may of me interpreting dark comedy. And there's a lot of British things, including Shaun of the Dead, which have created those elements, but elsewhere I find that it's harder to come by. So with dark comedy, like when you wrote the books, was that the intention to start with? Were they going to be, you know, dark comedy? Were they going to be comedic? And then as you kind of delve down the subject matter, they became more dark. What sort of, how do you approach the comedic element to each of those books? Yeah. I I love the scene in Shaun of the Dead where he's throwing records at the zombie. It's one of the best scenes ever. I love it. It's like, (laughs) not that one. (laughs) That's a good one. It's like, you're in the end of the world, mate. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Kills me every time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but that, I think that's just sort of my personality is mm. I am, I don't know, I, I make light of things that aren't that funny. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so that, that just, it, it sort of naturally came out the cynicism. I'm also naturally, I, I call myself like a realist, I guess, but I guess I think a lot of people would say I'm a pessimist. <laughs> so there's, there's some, there's some discrepancy there. Uh, I'm certainly not an optimist. Uh, I, that's that's for sure. I call myself a pessimistic optimist, therefore a realist, and that was in my Tinder bio. Okay. It's how I met my girlfriend. <laughs> so it, it works. That little tidy is like one of the cleverest things I've ever said. And it's not even that good. <laughs> so I think you maybe fit in that sort of camp, maybe which is hoping for the best, but you expect the worst because people suck a lot of the time. So yeah. it's just yeah, optimistic, pessimistic, or realist works well. But <laughs> sorry to cut across. No, that's fine. And so that's, they're just a reflection. I mean, it's, it's hard. I can't write in somebody else's voice. Mm-hmm. And so like those books are just my voice. And that's, they, that's how I think like the things the characters do aren't like things that I do. They do horrible things. <laughs> and and they're, there's, there's generally like loveless and uh, desperate. Uh, and so I like to think I'm above that, but it's also, you know, I'm, whatever i'm not like in some of the situations that i put my characters into that pulls this out of them so maybe at my at my base my worst human instincts would take over but uh as far as like the comedy goes i'm like i'm glad that you think it's funny because i also think it's funny and i don't know if that's for everybody one thing that really i found interesting about dead cats is that so as background, the guy is a dentist. He lives a really comfortable upper middle class uh, life. 
he gets addicted to drugs and his family life sort of falls apart. He moves into his garage and he gets tortured every night watching his wife and his two daughters sort of get along without him. And, and then he realizes that he's like completely not necessary and goes through a divorce. And this creates a break in reality from him. And uh, that brings Kurt Cobain into this. Um, he runs over the family cat by mistake. He keeps it in the freezer as some sort of misplaced evidence that he brings to court with him and then the cat starts speaking to him and uh it, it goes on but one thing that i was really surprised about is i was like this guy's awful like he's a terrible person and everybody that has read the book roots that for this guy like unconditionally like and i tortured this character throughout the whole book and everybody is waiting for like the redemption and they're just like, they're rooting for him so hard, no matter what horrible things he does, no matter what horrible thoughts he has, they just like, they get to the end of the, every, everybody feels connected to him. And I, that was not how I wrote it. You know, that's not my intention. And I just find that so interesting about the psyche. And I don't know if that's part of it because it's written in first person that you're like inside his thoughts. And so like you're more connected to his vulnerabilities and stuff like that. But I just, even like women, like this guy is like a horrible misogynist and like the women who have read this book are like, oh, I just wanted it to work out for him in the end. And I was like, you did? Why? <laughs> Worse. Uh, but so I did, I wasn't expecting that reaction. And then I was reading something later on about, um, what's the name of the guy who created Breaking Bad? Um, oh, oh no, I should know this. I love Breaking guy. Bad. Yes. Yeah. Chris, Chris um, Carter, right? Uh, say his name again. No, it's not Chris Carter. It's one of the uh, X file guys. I, I will look it up. You can tell the story, and I'll do my job and look up who what his name is because he's essentially a detail guy. But yeah, yeah, continue. The to be named uh, creator of Breaking Bad. Um, he was talking about how after the first season, he couldn't believe that like the internet loved Walt hmm. he was, and hated his wife. <laughs> and like when I watched the show, I felt the same way. I'm like. Oh, his wife is so annoyed. She's such a nag. Like, all this guy wants to do is cook meth and like, provide, like, stop getting in the way. And it's like, I just sit back and be like, that's completely irrational. Like, why do I think that? It's so stupid. And, and so he, you know, he took that sort of feedback into account when he was doing future seasons of, of Breaking Bad and like trying to like specifically make people more empathetic to the wife and like less empathetic to Walt. But there's just something about we see these. I don't know, flawed men, I guess, and was, want the best of them. His name is Vince Gilligan, which, uh, Gilligan. It's just, as soon yes, as I read it, I was like, oh, how did I forget? Because, <laughs> yeah, because he pays, like, for him, he's got, like, a lot of attention to detail elements, and I think that's what comes across in your work somewhat as well. And I think that, yeah, what you say about sort of rooting for, it is bizarre. I mean, I think Joker's similar to that, the, the film with uh, Joaquin Phoenix in it as well. That That's a film that really tore audiences in two. Some people were like, you know, it glorifies this and that, and although I disagree with that argument. And other people were like, oh, yeah, really root for the guy. It shows, you know, about how mental health and when certain elements aren't given to the right person they keep going and going and going they get pushed and pushed and pushed and they can fall off the deep end and that's you know generally what the whole plot of joke is meant to be and it's like i think different people interpret things in different ways and it's good to hear that a lot of the people who've been uh, reading your book have been interpreting it in not necessarily the right way but a right way in a sense of like as long as you're reading the book and you're kind of having fun and you you know these characters do horrible things you can still root for them but you know you're not in doing so, you're not supporting horrible things that happen. It's like Breaking Bad. You can support 
you can kind of want things to work out for Walt in the end, but that doesn't mean you're like saying, oh yeah, but I also agree with murdering all these people. Like that's totally yeah. fine. It's like, <laughs> there is a weird disconnect with people when you are kind of rooting for a main character. And one of my, one of my favorite um, kind of things that happens with characters is that I don't think happens enough well. It happened in Breaking Bad, it's probably the biggest time I can remember it, which is when you've got the opposite of a redemption story, when you've got a fall from grace, and it's like it when, and I think maybe your um from what I've read of your books, are they kind of not necessarily a full fall from grace, but it's that kind of thing where it's it's a journey and people like journeys, but it's not this person's terrible and they're good by the end. It's like, no, this person's quite bad and in some ways they get worse. Obviously I don't want to, you to spoil your own books. <laughs> but yeah. you know you know what I'm kinda of getting at. Yeah, no, totally. And I the feedback on Joker was hilarious because it's like the people who think that that was glorifying anything are like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what are you watching? <laughs> you watched a different movie than me. Because I wasn't, I didn't leave that being like, oh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker has it figured out. Uh, he's, got his, he's got the key to a happy life. Um, but yes, I, and you know, I guess that's the cynic in me too, is that um, how, like, how many redemption stories do we have in real life? You know, like mm. how many people from high school who are assholes do you know who grow up to be like sterling human beings? You know, it's like, I don't know how much we change past a certain age. I think you get to like, as your brain develops and it hardens and you can like learn more and absorb more and make yourself a better person. But if you weren't open to that process earlier, you're probably not going to be open to it as an adult. And so like, you know, it seems futile to hope for people to get better. And again, that's the, you know, the pessimist slash realist in me thinking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do agree in a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's funny. I wrote a little note here, which is just the way you're explaining how you view a lot of things and your humor and stuff. It's very for me, very British, uh, which is a compliment because, yeah. you know, I'm British and we're amazing. Uh, <laughs> well, it's one of those things where British humor and people find that when they normally come over here and spend long periods of time with people who are British when it's not on the, the tourist trail, which is just like, yeah, our history is full of, you know, colonization and doing horrible things and et cetera, much like America's in certain ways, <laughs> spanning a much longer period of time. But it, over here, because the weather's like, it's been raining all day, the weather's crap pretty much all the time. You know, everything is like... <laughs> we're in a we're all very grateful to be in you know first world and it's something that's got so many great things about it but there's also lots of little things that are just really frustratingly annoying about being british in certain ways and i think that's just brought a culture in britain of like sarcastic cynic cynicism and that's just what we're all like we're all just like oh there's new new person like doesn't matter if you're politically leaning on the left politically leaning on the right when someone new when there's new election everyone across the world of course england just goes oh for god's sake another one and then so everyone votes and then no matter what it is half the people kind of happy half the people aren't but even the people who vote for the people they want they're just like got another politician in they're gonna lie about everything as per usual and it's just this british sensibilities of just always complaining and just expecting the worst out of everything all the time and it just comes this strange humor the british people have got and i just think reading your um your works and things just speaking to you as an individual i feel like you've got an element of that in you which i i personally love because i love cynical humor and being really pessimistic about things and just that i'll you know just the exasperated sigh when it's the the best example is you know if you're just having a bit of a bad day and you're like carrying something and you just drop something and you just stare at it 
for like a few seconds, you're just like, why the fuck did you do that? And you just, you're kind of there. <laughs> That's kind of, in, in a sense, like a, a parallel almost metaphor to how I view your writing in all the best ways. It's just that, that, that character's just got that exasperated sign is cynical, but it's kind of funny to watch them plummet in a sense. Yeah. I appreciate, yeah. The, they're pre-exhausted. Mm, pre-exhausted. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. The politician thing's interesting too, right? Because it's like, I wish America had more of that. Like, I think that's healthy. I think that if you're not skeptical of your politicians, then uh, I'm circumspective of you. Uh, and I think that uh, we should, like, no matter how much you like the guy that you voted for, like, once they get in office, guy, what person, because, you know, God forbid we ever elect a woman uh, to higher office in America. Um, <laughs> but if you, like, if if you're not critical of the job they're doing and you just sort of like take it on face value that, you know, whatever cult of personality you signed yourself up for during the election is going to carry us through, like you're not doing your job as an informed citizen. So, and, and you're right. Like they're always full of shit. So like be super skeptical. And I, I mean, that's a huge problem in America right now. It's like, you've got like Bernie people on one side who like are totally into cult of personality with Bernie. And then you've got Trump people on the other side. And like, that's a whole other like scary, (laughs) scary thing. And I'm not comparing those two, like they're, they're different ends, but it's like, the truth is like, like somewhere in the middle, you know, it's like, and that's, that's obviously so road. It's the same with everything. The truth is always in the middle, but like whoever gets into office, like, look at them dispassionately and expect the worst because that's probably what you're going to get. <laughs> you know, that's just sort of how history has played out. <laughs> I agree completely. And in the same sort of vein with that, um, with your book, Anarchy, I, I want to clarify it is Anarchy and Other Lies. That's the full name, isn't it? Just Anarchy and Other Lies. Yes. Okay, yeah. cool. Because obviously Dead Cats, I haven't said the full thing you have, uh, but it was Dead Cats and Other Reflections on Parenthood. But obviously calling it Dead Cats and Anarchy in conversation is much easier just in case anyone gets confused. Um, okay. But with Anarchy, when you wrote, when you obviously it's released, you're kind of in the cycle of it being released at the moment. Was there, were you just releasing, say, a good work of fiction that was enjoyable to write and release? Or were you trying to either write, maybe not a lesson or something, but were you trying to point to something else? Was was some of the, the lessons in Anarchy and some of the, you know, the, the boring dystopian sort of uh, elements of it, was that, was there a specific reason for that in a sense? Yeah, I don't... I mean, I definitely feel an existential panic about things, you know, like, I don't know. Do you feel, do you feel that way? Like, do you feel, all right, here's a question for you. Do you feel like you're going to see the end of the world? Like, are you going to live to see society? end? I, I don't think I will. However, I think I could. I'm in that kind of camp where I'm like, I'm always hoping we won't, but if it happened, (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. Right. And so I, I definitely feel like the way that like the environment's degrading and like that sort of seems to be a train that's just picking up steam and getting faster and faster and we're seeing more and more, you know, environmental catastrophes that's going to make it a lot harder to live on this planet. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to make it uninhabitable in my lifetime, but I think it's going to create tensions on systems that are going to get, you know, like wars will start over water and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so I just, I funneled. I feel that way. And I'm, I'm always curious about like how other people feel. And like, do I just consume too much news? Like, am I too informed about this stuff? Um, and also like from a historical perspective, 
like have, have humans always just felt this way you know like you look back at like the 60 like world war ii like world war ii can you imagine living through world war ii and like finding out like what was happening in germany and like watching the nazis march across europe and you know like firebombing half of your country and it's just like like you like you must have lived through that time and that's like way worse than anything we're going through now you must, and so like i feel like a wuss sometimes where i'm like maybe people have like always just felt this way and and maybe like the internet has just given a, a like a microphone to this sort of the panic amongst us because it's easier to track like all the and, and like catalog all the horrible things that are going on rather than just like oh yeah that sucked but you know tomorrow will be cool and i'll forget about whatever that was because it's not archived permanently on some cloud server somewhere that and you know there aren't millions of people talking about it at me all the time so i don't know like media helps play into part of that or if i'm just too sensitive but i wasn't like i think that with my books like you can take what you want from them like if you want to just like have something that takes you two days to read or like you read on a flight or a train or something and you just want to have fun with it and like lose yourself in the story like you can totally do that if you want to like look at it more existentially and like think about the broader issues like i've definitely like woven what i feel like are some issues into the book and uh i don't think they're preachy and i try to poke fun at them rather than be preachy like you know i'm i'm not trying to tell people how to live, but I do enjoy social critique uh, in, in weaving that into the books. Mm, yeah, I think that's a good shout because I think with um, with the book Anarchy, it's the glasses thing that, that kind of called out to me. And obviously, I mean, Google glasses are and were a thing and I have no doubt they'll be coming back for another wave at some point they release them everyone was like this sucks and they're like okay we'll wait 10 years try the next generation and then we'll keep doing it and eventually you know i've i've been saying since well probably since i was about 10 now you know which was years ago um but thinking once the internet kind of became a bit more of a thing once that kind of that door was opened it's just you know exploded outwards and i think that eventually people you know there's augmented reality um, which is the glasses and things me had to basically have a smartphone but over your eyes all the time Eventually, that'll probably turn into contact lenses. I don't know. But I feel like from your book, you probably feel similarly, where it's just like, you know, the smartphone went from being something that was cool that everyone started to get to now an absolute essential that everyone needs and people can't people including myself sometimes don't like to leave a room without taking it with them uh mine is normally if i'm in the house doesn't matter but if i leave the house without my smartphone i and this is an extreme example i will go back to it because it's got you know access to everyone i know it's got a gps on it it's got you know how to literally contact people if there's an emergency i can look up anything in the world like it's for me it's one of those things where you know we we kind of need it all the time even though i do remember a time where i didn't need it all the time yeah so with the glasses (laughs) thing i kind of see it as that is a in a small way that's kind of mirroring smart technology and stuff. And you're not saying people shouldn't wear these things, it, but you are in the book kind of being like, there's a there's a line by one of your characters, and I think you say like, uh, someone else took glasses off, and they're like, it's, I think this might be the first time I've seen into this person's eyes without the haze over it of of the glasses lens. And I think that's probably playing into, you know, it, it builds up the world around your books, which is excellent, but also simultaneously is doing a bit of social commentary, which is very cleverly done. Yeah, thanks. I. So the just as context, the glasses are 
everybody in this world wears glasses like they have their phone. And instead of having to like look and unlock your phone, all of like your news feed, everything just like your text just comes streaming across your glasses. So you're constantly bombarded. And I, I hear what you're saying. The smartphone thing is hilarious because like no matter your socioeconomic class, like you have the same phone, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> like Jeff Bezos has the same phone as like whatever, like, you know, like fast food worker or whatever. And they probably have the same data plan and it's just become like the most necessary utility. Like people will give up whatever else, you know, maybe not electricity because you need that to charge your phone, but your other basic <laughs> utilities to to keep access to the phone. And I, I just feel so suffocated by it too. And it's, that was especially true like around election times where it's just like, the thing is just constantly like throwing stuff at me. Like I don't want it, you know, it's like <laughs> I've like turned off the news feeds and somehow like it finds a way to like reset itself and like, and still like bombard me and always pick at me with stuff. And so I definitely feel suffocated by technology and, and I, and the, that's the genius of it, right. Is that like you, and I take it with me because my music's on it or I want to listen to a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, and like, like, when was the last time you had an alarm clock? <laughs> you know, like, you know, they're, 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 these like product designers, these companies are geniuses. They've just like found ways, like don't invest in alarm clocks. Don't invest in flashlights. Don't invest in calculators because like they've just found a way to like, they're slowly absorbing like every like sort of pseudo appliance that you had in your life into this one small thing that, now you don't feel the weight of it in your pocket when you leave the house. You're like, oh, I'm missing something. Oh, that's right, my phone, because otherwise I'll be in a two-hour car drive with no music. Or, or God forbid, I'll have to listen to the radio, <laughs> which, is, which is, like, used to be fun. And now it's like, oh, the radio is awful. I don't want to listen to that. Yeah, I remember someone saying, it's like, you know, can you remember a time where people just didn't have to wait for things anymore? Like, in a sense, you still have to wait. Like, either you can order things online or whatever, but even like waiting at a bus stop. Like, I remember when I was younger, having to catch the bus to school or college or whatever and being like, what am I going to do when I'm at the bus stop if no one's there? And the answer is nothing. You just stand there and wait and you think about things for between two and sometimes 30 minutes if you're very unlucky and all the buses are late. So you're just like standing there and it's like, but uh, but kids nowadays and, you know, even myself being in a similar situation, I'm just like, why would I wait at a bus stop without my phone? Why would I wait somewhere still for 15 minutes? And unless I'm actively, specifically having a conversation with someone next to me, I'm not going to engage with strangers. I'm going to go on Reddit, <laughs> or I'm going to listen to an audiobook, or I'm going to message loads of people that have messaged me over the last three weeks and I can't be asked to respond. But now's the time. But before it was just waiting. And I heard like those things, um, was it the magazine industry has died because so many people aren't buying magazines it for like waiting rooms, like going to the dentist yeah. and just sitting in a waiting room and flicking through and going, oh, they've got these three magazines. I hope one of them's interesting. Like they don't get touched anymore. <laughs> it's such a yeah. weird transformation of like the phone getting more complex and complicated, basically from it just being handheld. That's step one. And then we're at like step 10, which is waiting without entertainment just doesn't happen. You're like, when, when did this happen? It's just kind of click and it's happened yeah. all of a sudden. It's, it's, it's totally like an endorphin like addiction, you know, mm-hmm. like, like we were, your brain was never meant to be like constantly engaged in this way. It was meant to like have like moments of reflection and, you know, just like to be quieted, but like we're constantly, the phone is a constant, it's like a drug. It's like, we're constantly taking hits from whatever like the drug of the iphone is and uh 
so I have, I have taken, I have taken, like, I don't take my, I bring my phone with me everywhere because again, I'm not so like puritanical that I don't want to listen to exactly the type of music I want to listen to whenever I'm driving. So I'm not, I'm not preaching. I'm just like pointing out. I'll, I'll I leave it in the car though, where when I go into places or like, um, like I go to the chiropractor every two weeks and I usually have to sit there for 15 minutes waiting for my appointment. And I always leave my phone there and I am sure, I'm sure that everybody who sits in that waiting room is like, oh, look at the psychopath over there not looking at his phone. <laughs> and there, to your point, there's no magazines in there anymore. You know, it's just, it's just me sitting in a chair, like staring at the wall <laughs> and surrounded by people that are like staring at their phones. And, you know, now I look like the psychopath because... Like I'm the unhinged person who's just sitting back, like staring into space, you know, like trying to let my brain decompress and like, you know, think about whatever other bullshit I, I want to think about. But like, that's, you know, the, the people who aren't looking at their phones now are the ones who are suspicious. Like we're like, we're like the scary, we're like the scary people that you have to like watch out for and put on a government watch list. Around. Yeah. It's like, if you're walking down the street and there's, if there's someone and they don't have headphones in, they're not looking at their phone and there's no phone. It's actually like, there's something wrong with that person. But if you're sat at a bus stop and some yeah. crazy looking person is on their phone, you're like, oh, that person's on the phone. They're normal. <laughs> it's just like, right. yeah. it's such a flip that's, oh, it's mental. I, I know we're getting towards the end because we're both busy bees, um, leaning it all the way back to that amazing bee comment. Um, but as we start, kind of wrap up and things, um, I want to say sort of, well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, yeah, with your, obviously, future releases, um, we can end on this. Um, do you have uh, thematically or whatever one can tell about the uh, other pieces you're writing? Are they still going to be, you know, are they in the same realm of lead characters being cynical and that kind of dark comedy-esque? Are you veering out? I know you said they're going to be in third person, but sort of um, what can you tell us about it that you're willing to share? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I definitely like exhausted myself after Anarchy of that sort of like dystopia and like super cynical. And and so my next, my next books, um, I also like don't have the attention span to like stick with, stick with one genre. So like uh, I've written a noir cross with a sci-fi that's mm. like uh, time travel, um, like a sort of a gritty, pulpy noir with some time travel sprinkled on top. Um, and then I've uh, I've written another um, sort of like cryptid. I got really I got really into like reading about. Do you know what Bigfoot is? Do you guys have Bigfoot like Sasquatch and all that yeah. stuff? Yeah, I've done a podcast okay. about cryptids, but I, I know about Bigfoot and Sasquatches, and my listeners in the UK will know about those things. Yeah. Okay, so I. I wrote this book about this orphan whose mom is like the Jane Goodall of, of uh, Sasquatches and like goes looking for him. And then he goes looking for Sasquatch, gets like lost looking for Sasquatch and he goes to find her and like gets tied up in like aliens and this like government conspiracy and like all this stuff. And, and then the one I'm working on now, I've gone back to just like a pure comedy and it's about a, like, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Joel Osteen is. He's like an American, like, televangelist. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I know televangelists. Yeah. Yeah, he's like one of those guys. And so I'm sort of doing a parody of that now. But mm. I definitely, like, after Anarchy, like, I put that down. It was like, whoa, that was like, that was a lot. And that's, that's a lot on the page to digest. And I feel better now. And I've sort of purged myself of that so I can, like, go do other things. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, two very exciting uh, book ideas and i think they're going to be uh, a lot of fun obviously you're well adversed into the what the other realms of 
being a human and that's why i think you need to be sort of switched on to these things and receptive to knowing what's happening all around you uh to be able to write about these things and to write because good social commentary is some of my favorite kind of um of content so i think that what you're doing is absolutely incredible um do you want to just tell people uh before we start to wrap up um do you want to uh, tell people where they can find you i'll include links in the description like obviously your website but i don't know if there's anything else you could say your website out loud for anyone who's too lazy to check the show notes but in addition to that if there's anything anywhere else people can find you yeah, I appreciate it. So my website, jessemckinnell.com. Um, I mean, people are just going to Google me and you can find you can find my website that way. I'm also, all my books are on Amazon. Um, so, that, you know, support your corporate over, overlords and uh, order it directly from Amazon or you can order books from my website and I will scribble something silly, maybe draw a picture on the front page and ship that off to you. And they'll probably do a buck cheaper. <laughs> there we go. So buy directly. Uh, don't use Amazon. They're evil. But if you have to use Amazon, then you can. If it's between not buying the book and buying the book, use Amazon. But try and use this website where you can and you get a free little thing on there as well. Absolutely delightful. That's what you like to hear. Well, absolutely wonderful, Jesse. It's been incredible speaking with you. Um, we'll hang up the Zoom call uh, now then. But um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for releasing two amazing books. Looking forward to hearing uh, the other ones as well. And I'm sure you can come on the show again to talk about those too. So um, thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. I had a lot of fun. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys. As I said in the intro, make sure you go check out Jesse's work. At the very least, you know, read the first chapter of Dead Cats. I think it will really surprise you, and it's it's a really, really enjoying read. And also me and Jesse have spoken. I'm planning on having him on again later this year. Uh, I think we're going to talk about like potential end of the world theories and things. I think that'll be quite a fun conversation to have with him. So uh, keep an eye out for that as well. Aside from that, guys, what have we got coming up? Uh, well, I do want to quickly say here that I may sound a bit strange because I've got a cold. Uh, I don't normally get ill very often, but this weekend I've been quite ill and my nose is just horrendously blocked up and it's just clogging up my sinuses and giving me a headache. So that is the joy of, you know, life, especially being in lockdown for, you know, almost two years and then, you know, being introduced to humans again. It just means everyone's going to get ill. Uh, but aside from that, on a brighter note, I've got a conversation recorded with my girlfriend Megan as well as Rhea Carrigan who obviously was on last week and then also Tonya Todd who's been on the show numerous times uh, it's going to be a two-parter so a nice long conversation there obviously Patreons will get access to the full conversation when part one drops on this feed and obviously link to the Patreon is in the description but it's patreon.com slash genuine chit chat you can pay as little as one pound a month and you get access to genuine chit chat episodes early as well as me and Megan do afterthoughts each week and we do reviews on movies some of them are new spoiler free some of them are older ones series etc etc so make sure you go check that out if you haven't already um, but as well as that i've got a few other things coming up i've got a recording due i think next week or the week after uh, with someone who is an artist for the star wars comics that i tackle my star wars comics in canon show so i'm very excited about that and linking with Star Wars, I recently recorded an episode on Star Wars Timeline. Uh, I was on a show a few months ago, I think it was. We spoke about all three trilogies in Star Wars and how they all sort of compared with one another. And he wanted to have me on again. And we're going to do three more episodes. Each episode is about one of the sequel movies. So we recorded the one on The Force Awakens just the other day. And then I think next week we're going to be recording one on Last Jedi. And then the week after that we'll record one on The Rise of Skywalker. So if you haven't already subscribed to Star Wars Timeline on YouTube, make sure you go and do that because it is a lot of fun and ben is a really really cool person and he has a lot of really interesting content on there so yeah check that out 
In addition to that, at some point over the coming months, I'm going to be appearing on the Beer Nuts production podcast. Uh, obviously, Goff has been on my show numerous times, and he's probably going to be coming on again soon as well. Uh, I've got a few other things recorded that are in the pipeline with people who haven't yet been on the show, and any of you guys are aware. I don't generally like to say if there's someone who hasn't been on the show before, just in case, because there have been you know, a few interviews here and there that have fell through for one reason or another, and so I'd rather just not mention them, just in case. But I am hopeful, and if these conversations go ahead, they are going to be a lot of fun. And in addition to that, guys, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel because, as I said in the intro, there is a video version of this conversation and I'm uploading more video versions with certain guests. Uh, So if you fancy seeing my face when words come out, then there you go. Go over to YouTube and stuff. Uh, Also, make sure you follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat. As I said, check out my Patreon and also you can check out my show Star Wars Comics in Canon. Whether you've never read a Star Wars comic in your life or if you've read all of them, it's the perfect show because I go through plot points, talk about connections, and I've also got book reviews and stuff there too. That is on the feed of Comics in Motion, along with a huge amount of other great shows. But if you do follow me on YouTube, then you'll see that I upload both the episodes of Genuine Chit Chat and also the episodes of Star Wars Comics in Canon on there. So I think that's really all I'm going to mention here, guys. Uh, Otherwise, I'm going to ramble on. And as I said, I don't feel 100%. So uh, yeah, that's going to be it from me. Uh, Thank you as always for listening, guys, especially to the end. I appreciate each and every one of you. Please consider checking out my Patreon page for additional content and to support the show. And uh, well, I'll talk to you guys next week. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.